Good morning. We are continuing our series in the book of 1 Corinthians. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of his authority over us. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 17. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds, how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is Craig. I'm one of the elders here. We're thankful that you're with us this morning. Um, just want to make sure you guys know about something that goes on every Sunday. Every Sunday morning um, at 9.30, this service starts at 10, at 9.30, in a little room, just as you enter in the doors, those main entrances to the left there, is a prayer meeting. Um, we meet typically from about 9.30 to 9.50 or so, um, just to pray for this time. This morning, pray for our own hearts and pray for what God's going to do in here. We would love to have any of you join us. Sparked a little bit by what Charles Spurgeon, the preacher from London, uh, more than 100 years ago used to do. He had something called uh, the boiler room. Every Sunday prior to and even during the service, he had a group of 100 or so people praying specifically for the service. He called it the boiler room because that's where the heat came from, right? That's where where God would respond to their prayers and then work in a service just like that. So I want to invite all of you all, um, if you're interested in coming, we'd love to have you. Um, come pray for the service, pray for the preaching of the word for this time. Um, I don't know if you noticed, the screen's a little higher this morning. Hey, thank you. That was a long process, okay? So thank you to everybody who worked to put that together. Also, you may have noticed the picture's a little bit clearer. And the reason I want to draw your attention to that is because of this picture I want to show you. Boom, there it is. You can see it all a little better than maybe what you used to do. That is a picture I took this morning of a treehouse in my backyard. Now, there are people in this church who are master builders, craftsmen, woodworkers. There are YouTube channels with such skills displayed for all to see. I am not one of those people. This would be the pinnacle of my building expertise right here. And now you may be thinking, hey, it looks pretty good. It's pretty good. Just remember, the closer you get, the worse it gets, okay? So just staying far off, it looks okay. That is, though, that is something that me and the kids built a couple summers ago. Now, when it comes to building stuff, maybe you're a builder, maybe you're not. But as you guys know, God has his own building plans. Um, God is building his church. It's not, a, it's not, a fortune, it's not just a, a club, a social club. It's not a Fortune 500 company. It's not an activist group. A God-honoring church is unlike any other human organization because it is a God-designed organization. Today, God, through his word, is going to teach us something about building churches. 
My building skills are pretty shoddy, to be honest. But God has a plan for us to, to be a church that honors him. And here's what we're going to see from in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 17. We're going to see who builds God-honoring churches. Two, where to build God-honoring churches. Three, what awaits the builders of those who build God-honoring churches. And then four, what's at stake. So let's just ask God's blessing on this time. Lord, I come to you this morning just... I feel and sense my own need for you. I'm, I am tired. I am needy. I need nourishment. And what you've promised us in your word is true food and true drink. Food for the soul. So I pray that you come and feed us all right now. You come and speak to us, Lord. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you're going to put a heading on this, this would be how to build a God-honoring church. Here's the first part. Who builds God-honoring churches? Shannon mentioned it earlier, and it's the right place to start. Verse 10. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 10. If you do have a Bible, I'd encourage you to get it out and take a look at it. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. So, here's my question. The question I, I, I promised you we'd answer, which is, who builds God-honoring churches? And the answer, very simply, is we do, empowered by the grace that God has given to us. So there's no required skill set for being involved in a God-honoring church and building a God-honoring church. When you trust in Jesus Christ, God gives you his Holy Spirit. And with the Spirit comes grace to build up the church. Some gifts are more visible, some are more up, like more upfront, some aren't. First Corinthians has a lot to say about these things, and I'm excited to get there in the coming weeks. Got some, some fun things ahead for us. But today's passage wants to focus our attention here when it comes to building up the church. God gives grace to build. So here's what I just want to emphasize to you guys at the outset. We all, if you're a Christian, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that means that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you. That means that God's grace is upon you. And that means that you have a role to play in building this church. You have a piece here. You have a piece of the puzzle here. God brought you here by design. Let me try to illustrate that real quick. After the Chicago fire, obviously a long time ago, D.L. Moody, who was a preacher in Chicago at Moody Church, downtown Chicago, went to London to rest. He wasn't going to preach, and one Sunday, though, he got convinced, roped into preaching at a church in London. Everything about the service dragged. He wished that he, would never, he had never agreed to preach. There was a woman in the city who had heard about D.L. Moody and what he was doing back in the United States, and she had prayed for a really long time that he would come to London and preach the gospel there. Well, she, though, was very sick. She couldn't leave the home. She was an invalid. Her sister that morning had gone to church, and at the church that she went to, that was the very church that Moody had agreed to preach at. Sister came home and said, guess who was speaking to us this morning? It was Mr. Moody from Chicago. Well, the sick woman who was at home turned pale, and this is what she said. This is an answer to my prayer. If I had known that he was to be at our church, I would have eaten nothing but waited on God in prayer. Leave me alone this afternoon. Do not let anyone come to see me. Do not send me anything that, anything to eat. 
And all that afternoon, that woman gave herself to prayer. Now, here's what you needed to know. The morning service, when Moody preached, that service had drug, had no life, nothing was happening. Then this woman hears that her prayers were answered, and she gave herself that afternoon to prayer and listened to, listened to the change that took place. As Mr. Moody preached that night, this is a quote from a book, as Mr. Moody preached that night, he soon became conscious that there was a different atmosphere in the church. He said, the powers of an unseen world seemed to fall upon him and his hearers. As he drew to a close, he, impressed, he felt impressed to give out an invitation He asked for all who would accept Christ to rise. Four or five hundred people rose. He thought that they misunderstood him. And so he put the question several ways that there might be no mistake. But no, they had understood. This is illustrating the different roles that we might play in the building of of the church. It's what we talked about last week. D.L. Moody preached this woman in her home, on her bed, prayed And God gave the growth. God gave the grace. And to be honest, when I think about the ways that we experience God's grace lived out as a body of Christ, how we all interconnect, our different giftings and how it works, it's hard to figure out how everybody fits in. Do you need to like take a spiritual gifts inventory online to determine your best fit, your best role, where you serve? Here's what I hope you take away from this opening this opening exhortation from, um, from 1 Corinthians 3. You have grace from God deposited in your life, empowering you to serve him, starting right here in this local context. Just let that, just savor that for a moment. If you don't know what to do, you don't know how to serve, you don't feel like you know where your place is, instead of thinking in terms of programs, think in terms of people. Who can you serve this week? Who can you bless this week? Who can you buy a cup of coffee for this week? That builds up the church. You give a cup of water in the name of Jesus, that's giving a cup of water to Jesus. That's what he said. Tasks are good too. Jordan, wherever you are, I know would love to offload a lot of the administrative tasks that he does. The deacons in this church that serve our church in a variety of ways are often always looking for help. That's a great way to serve and build up the body of Christ. One way you can actively do that on your connect card that's on your seat, just jot that in there. I'm interested in learning more. I want to know how to serve in those different roles. You know, some of you here are new. A lot of you here are new. And I know a lot of you come from different church backgrounds. And sometimes it's hard to know where you fit in in a new church or where you fit in in a changing church. And I just want to say this, I don't exactly know where you fit, but I do know that we need you. We need you. We need your gifts. We need the grace of God that has been poured into your life for the good of this body. Come help us in building the next levels of this church as we build it up. Now, here's one more thing I want us to see in answering the question, who builds God-honoring churches? It's not only that we do, but we do together. Paul is putting together a picture here, a a metaphor, uh, an illustration of a building that's going up, right? It's a collective effort. One person lays a foundation, looking at verse 10, verse 11. Another comes and builds upon it. 
Now, if you think about this church, Christ Community Church, a lot of us know the history, a lot of us don't. There were some who planted this church. Andrew, John, Pat. But not only them. There was a launch team, a group of people who came around them and helped them start that church. And of course, there was a church that sent them out and empowered them to go. And it wasn't only the work that they did. All the people that were involved helped in various ways. You know, they helped develop curriculum for the kids' programs. They helped with music. They helped with all kinds of hospitality. Do you, remember, do you realize that if, in this church, as crazy as it might seem now, there were just a couple kids in CC Kids? Just a couple. <laughs> did you know that the youth group started in my basement? We build, here's the point, we build on what others have built. Others will build on what we have built. God gives grace to us all. So let the truth that God gives you grace uh, to build up this local church sink in. Uh, God gave you a piece of the, of the puzzle, a piece, a role here in building up this church. Not the whole thing. You're not responsible to build the whole church at all the time, but a piece. Let that give you freedom to give yourself to the church. Give yourself to the church. Serve the church. What a great thing to be a part of. Give your time, your talent, your treasure to build up this local church. You know, it's, the church itself is God's vehicle for displaying his glory to all creation. What a beautiful thing to be part of. Displaying God's glory to all creation. What a thrill to be part of his eternal purposes for the world. Just think about this. If God wanted to build his church, couldn't he just snap his galactic fingers and make it all happen? Boom, 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 boom. It's done. If he wanted to do that, he could. So why would he use us? Why does he want to use us? Because he wants us to see how great he is. He wants us to be a part of what he is doing in the world. He wants us to be filled with his grace and then experience that working out amongst each other and ourselves and to the world. It really is, if you sit back and think about it, it's pretty unbelievable. It's a thrill. Who builds a God-honoring church? We do, together. So that's the first one. Who builds it? Second one, where do we build it? Where do we build God-honoring churches? Verses 10 and 11. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. That's verse. That's the second half of verse 10. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Foundations are so important. You guys know this because it bears the weight of the whole structure. If you think about my tree house, that tree is designed to bear the weight of the structure. If that tree falls, that house falls. And it's a silver maple, so it's going to fall, if you know anything about silver maples. Solid foundation means solid structure. The church in Corinth seemed to start with a strong foundation. But how it appears now, it appears that a new foundation is being laid. The I follow Paul, I follow Apollos foundation. They desired, if you guys remember this, we've said this many times, it's really important to this section of 1 Corinthians, they desired to justify themselves by their spirituality instead of Christ, 
which is a, which is, it's really the spiritual equivalent of taking a jackhammer to the foundation of Jesus Christ. If you're standing on something else, if you're trying to justify or prove yourself based on anything other than Jesus Christ, that is a faulty foundation. So Paul exhorts them, let each one take care how he builds. The one non-negotiable, the absolute crucial reality, the one thing that makes the church the church is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. Christ and him crucified, that is our foundation. I was reading in Acts 8 about Simon the Magician. He had built, this is a guy who was not a Christian, but he had built a large following. A lot of people gathered around him. People called him, they were amazed by him. They called him the power of God. But his power, his motive, and his message were frauds. It was fraudulent. We can build here a really large church, have lots of people, be very active, and build it on the wrong foundation. At our most recent members meeting, a lot of you were there, we talked about exploring um, building options, finding a place, a permanent home for our church. That may or may not be a wise move. We're exploring ideas, but I promise you this, the physical building doesn't matter one bit compared to building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. What faulty foundations do Christians build their churches on that isn't the true foundation of Christ? Here's just some ideas that came to me. First one, social action. Now, here's like all these things. There's a part of them that's good, right? But when you make it the foundation, it's faulty. The first idea, these are faulty foundations. One, social action. Doing good for our world, our community, is really important. It ought to be an outworking of the gospel. We've been loved by Christ, and therefore we carry his love out into the world to show them. And we see that lived out in the history of the church, people laying down their lives for others. But many Christians are tempted to make that the foundation of why we're a church. I can think of one particular denomination where they were a gospel-committed church who was also committed to living that out by going out into the community and, it, and showing people the love of Christ. That was generation one. Generation two assumed the gospel. They assumed that people understood that it was because of what Jesus had done for them that they would go out and serve the people of the world. And by generation three, because they hadn't been preaching the gospel, because that foundation was not laid over and over and over again, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they lost the gospel. And now... They focus wholeheartedly on social action alone. They've lost it. They've lost the reason, the meaning, the power behind what they're doing. Here's a second faulty foundation. Programs. It can become really easy to be a church driven by programs. It drives the internal workings of the church. A program for this, a program for that, for that person, that need. Like good works, it's not that programs are bad. CC Kids is a program we have at our church. It's a blessing to the kids. But what I've seen is a lot of churches is putting the cart before the horse. They start to become driven by more and more programs instead of by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And probably the easiest one of all, faulty foundation, numbers, more people in the building. Just get people in the building. That's the most important thing. And nobody would ever say that. No, no church leader would ever say, that's my goal. I just really want to fill this room with as many people as I possibly can. But what we equate with that is, more people means God's blessing. Is that right? Not necessarily. If people come in for pop and sparkle, for entertainment, for reasons that aren't the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it's a faulty foundation. It doesn't mean that there are other reasons why you're here today. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you were curious this morning. You want to come check it out. Maybe you needed something in your life and you just showed up this morning. We are super glad you're here. But we want you to know that we're not here primarily for entertainment or even for relationships so much as we are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation from which all that we are and all that we do is built from. There's other faulty foundations. You guys can think of them too. Politics becomes central. Social issues become central. Brands of theology become central. Projecting an image to the community becomes central. The foundation on all these, on, on what everything is built, they drive the church. Brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to know. The gospel is the only solid foundation to build on. What does it look like then? What's the positive side? What does it look like to, as a church, build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the gospel? Well, think about what's happening right here. We want to preach the gospel. We want to see and taste and touch the gospel in the communion elements. We want to sing the gospel. We want to pray the gospel. We want to experience the gospel in community with one another. What about, our, what about in our MCs, our missional communities, our small groups? Well, Christians need what's called an embodied experience of the gospel. We experience God's grace, yes, through the preaching of God's word, through the Holy Spirit, through taking communion. We also experience God's grace through one another. God's forgiveness embodied. God's grace embodied. Here's what I mean. We need someone to say to us sometimes, bro, you're forgiven because of what Jesus did for you. I love you. And so does your Savior, Jesus. We need someone to come alongside us in our hardest moments, in our best moments. We need an embodied experience of the grace and the love and the presence of God. Why do we have all church prayer meetings? Why do we take communion every Sunday? Why do we start every elders meeting with significant time in prayer? Why do we confess sin to, another, to one another and forgive each other? Why do we emphasize missions near and far so much? Answer, we are a church whose foundation is Jesus Christ. The gospel is the one thing that sets us apart. Peter's words to Jesus are our words. Jesus, you have the words of life. To whom else will we go? We, God's church, are the primary means of God's proclamation of the gospel to the world, starting with our own hearts, with ourselves. 
for the sake of time, I wish I could dive in deep to how it, what it might look like for every individual person here, different groups of people, to apply the gospel even to your own life. I'm not going to do that today. But I would just encourage you with this. Building, this church has to do with building our church on the foundation of the gospel. But that starts in our lives, in our homes. Build your life on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be a part of building this church on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in other parts of scripture, it calls Jesus the cornerstone, the sure foundation. And the promise of God's word is this, that whoever builds on that foundation will not be put to shame. That's the life that will last. So, where do we build God-honoring churches? On the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's the foundation that endures, sure and true, and you will never be put to shame. Number three, what awaits the builders? This is verses 12 through, 14, uh, 12 through 15. Let's reread those real quick. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. I'm in the middle of verse 13. And the fire will test, excuse me, what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Where we build matters. We just said that. The foundation of Jesus Christ. And the way we build matters. There will come a day when what we've built, everything we've done as God's people, the church, is going to be revealed. It's going to be made manifest. That's in verse 13. The day, it says, will disclose it. What is the day? It's referring to what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. Jesus on that day, will return to save and to judge. When metal is purified, which is the illustration that we see here, they're heated to really high temperatures. The bad stuff burns off, the good stuff stays. When we build our church according to the blueprint, that is God's word, that's going to stand the test of the fire like gold, silver, or precious stones. Those substances pass through the flames and last. What we build that is not according to God's word, wood, hay, straw, gone. Though this passage says that the builder himself, herself, will be saved, but only as through fire. This applies to every Christian. It might sound like it just applies to the leadership of a church, but it applies to everyone. Though I would say that the leadership needs to pay special attention. We need to hear this. This is a bit jarring. This is God taking us from bottle feeding to maturity in Christ. As Christians, all of us, if you're involved in a church and you should be, we're always building in the church. You're building something. The way you live in relation to God and man here matters. It will matter for eternity. You will experience either loss, though you will be mercifully saved, or you will experience reward. Now, that's what that passage is saying to us. 
Let's try to unpack that. This is a little bit tricky. What does that mean for you guys here right now? Here's the first thought I had. If you're causing problems in the church, if you're stirring up strife and jealousy, like it says in this passage, if you're causing divisions, consider yourself warned. What causes those things? Remember here in, here in among the Corinthians, it's them trying to one-up each other spiritually, to look good at the expense of others. In 2 Corinthians, Paul lists these things. He says quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, deceit, and then even unrepentant sin. Those things can cause strife and jealousy to spring up in the church. This is a very strong warning to us to be careful how we build. Someone wisely asked the elders recently, do you see any division in our church right now? Obviously, we're preaching a lot about it because in 1 Corinthians, the passage that we've been going through, there's a lot of, that's specifically what Paul is talking about is division. We talked as elders, do we see division in the church right now? And we came to this conclusion, the same conclusion. No, we don't. Praise God. But if you've been part of a church for any length of time, you know that there's all kinds of potential for division all the time. Potentially for strife. Unity is very fragile. So, as we receive this warning to be careful how we build, walk in community, brothers and sisters. Walk in the light. Be eager, as it says in Ephesians 4, be eager to maintain unity and build with those good materials according to God's word. Here's a second thought I had. God holds leaders accountable. Some of you come from situations where church leaders have failed you. Where they built with wood, hay, and straw. Here's what I want you to hear from this passage. God has your back. You can lay down any burden you feel of vengeance, of need for justice. Romans 12 verse 19 says this. Beloved, he's talking to us, beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Brother or sister, lay it down. Lay your burden down. God sees, and he sees it all, and he will set right every wrong. And I also want to ask you to do this. Please pray for me. Pray for the elders. Pray for the other leaders at Christ's community. We are men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, needy for the grace of Jesus, seeking to build all that we do on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Please pray. I need the grace of God to do that, to build with gold, silver, precious stones. Please pray. Think of Spurgeon's boiler room. Think of that precious prayer warrior woman who prayed for Moody. We build this church together. And in order to do this work faithfully, we need grace. We need God's grace. And grace is often accessed on the knees before the throne of grace. Here's another thought. 
as we think about this, this picture we have of the day and the judgment. Live with the end in mind. How you invest here could, in the end, go badly. You could experience that loss that it talks about in this passage. But what I want to emphasize to you is that it could also go so incredibly well. Some of us feel like, um, you know, God says he's going to give me a reward. You know, God, I don't, I don't need that reward. It's all about you. It's all about you, God. God delights to commend you. He wants to use you. And he says, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. Receive it. Believe it. There's a reward waiting for you. This isn't just about us. Oh, man. Oh, the church. I, I, you know, after what Craig said today, I don't think I really want to get involved. I might just kind of be wallflower over here. There is a great reward. And there's so much grace at work in you to receive that reward. It's not being greedy. Those rewards last. God wants you to pursue those rewards. You know, obedience is rewarded in ways now and in eternity, in ways that we can't even imagine. Here's what this passage does for me. It warns me. It shocks me in some ways, for sure. But you know what it also does for me? It encourages me to keep going, to keep preaching, to keep praying, to keep loving, to keep caring for y'all. I want the reward. I want the crown. I do. I want you to have the reward too. Don't give up on investing here, investing in people's lives. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep praying. Keep loving. Keep caring. Stick with each other. Your labor is not in vain. What awaits you builders, us builders? A great reward. That's what awaits us. Set your eyes there. Keep the end in mind. All right, last point, very quick. What's at stake? Verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and the God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. What we build by the grace of God is the temple. The place where God dwells, his presence is. You know what this says in a nutshell? God loves his church. He loves his church so much. He gave his spirit to his people. He lives among us. That, that idea that his presence, his very presence being here, that was reserved for the most holy, the most special place in the world, the, very, the holy of holies. And now that place is here among us. He dwells among us. God loves us so much. He did that for us through his son. And you know what? He loves us so much, he will protect us from anyone who tries to harm us. When I was dating Darcy, just a quick story. When I was dating my wife, Darcy, I, uh, it was in the days of, uh, I kissed dating goodbye, okay? And we, uh, I wrote her father a letter and told him, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about dating your daughter. And her, her father is a man of God, and he wrote back to me a very good response. But one line has always stuck with me. He said to me, Woe to the man who harms my daughter. Imagine getting that letter. God says, Woe to the one who harms my bride. I will destroy you. That's what God says. 
receive this final word as a comfort. God loves you so much. He will totally protect you. Receive this as a wake-up call. When we start to focus ourselves on ourselves and on our tribes and on our programs and on our plans and we take focus away from the gospel, we take our attention away from that which is of first importance, what really matters, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are building a faulty foundation. Gossip, gossip, prayerlessness, bitterness towards each other, materialism, self-serving agendas, even the love of the praise of man, these things undermine the gospel foundation. We can build something flashy here, you guys, something really full of programs that gathers a lot of people. But those will not last. It will be burned up. We have something so much more, so much greater. What's at stake? We are the meeting place of God and man on earth, the temple of God. Only the gospel builds that. Remember the lines of this hymn? Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock, we all stand, don't we? All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Build us, Lord, on the foundation of the gospel. Keep us pure. Oh, Lord, send your presence here. Thank you that you are here among us. Do your work now as you are among us. In Jesus' name, amen.